and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I am streaming live from beautiful, sunny Palm Springs, California. Super excited. Have a 100-mile bike ride Saturday, um, and the weather is just perfect down here, mid mid to high 70s, so perfect for exercising outside and sunny. And today on our podcast, you don't want to miss out, Dr. Renata Moon. Um, she's going to be on our podcast. She has been discussing medical freedom a lot all over the country. I think she met with uh, um, Dr. Senator Ron Johnson and discussed medical freedom um, at at his conference. And she's been a guest speaker for many different places and regarding medical freedom. And as you know, our medical freedom has been in jeopardy actually for many years, I believe. Um, but the last few years, it's definitely been exposed. So we're also to be talking about the Global COVID Summit. Um, without further ado, Dr. Dr. Moon, uh, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yes. So tell us a little bit about, about your background, where you went to med school and, and where you've worked, and then we can get into the, uh, the update um, on medical freedom. Yeah. So I'm trained as a pediatrician. I've practiced pediatric medicine for over 20 years now. I trained at um, Washington University in St. Louis, actually not not Washington uh, State. And um, yeah, I really honestly thought I would spend the rest of my life taking care of, you know, the kids that I take care of in my pediatric practice and and never in a million years would have dreamed that uh, that the world would change as drastically as it has. Yeah. So here we are. Right, right. I, I I never would have thought it either. Um, did you so three years ago, did you have any doubt in the system? Did you have any did did you have any trust issues already, or did it just happen over the last couple of years? Yeah, so I know that there are people that have, have figured this out, I think, sooner than I did, but it's it's really been the last few years that uh you know, we we were trained to to trust in the higher regulatory agencies and to trust in the information coming down to us. And and I'm not going to say I didn't have some questions and some concerns. I certainly did, especially over the last like five six years or so. Uh, but really, it's been the last uh, two three years of this whole uh, COVID lockdown and um, COVID situation that that really really opened my eyes uh, to what has happening in the medical world. Yeah. So tell us, five or six years ago, what were you starting to question? You know, I just was starting to see, so actually, maybe even longer than that. I would say in the mainstream media 10 years ago, easily, back in, I remember in 2010, 2011, watching the news one day. And, you know, I always, I tried to keep up with current events. I loved, I loved watching the news, the mainstream media. And I remember one day just flipping just by accident, actually, between one of the main uh, channels for our news in the U.S. and with BBC. And I remember just standing in my living room and hitting the the TV clicker back and forth between the two channels and just thinking, what is, what's going on here? Because it was clear that our, at that point, when I had the contrast in front of me, that we were no longer, it was more sensationalized stuff on our TV. And I, I would flip to BBC and actually hear about wars and things that were happening internationally that I had no idea about from watching our own TV. And um, so I realized then that we had propaganda in the system for sure. I just didn't really perceive it in the medical uh, literature and the medical system until more recently. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, one of the things is we're, you know, we, we, we've done so much training in our area and me as a pharmacist, you as a doctor, that we want to believe that what we're told in, in the medical world, I mean, it starts out in school, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, when things don't add up, we we're really, we kind of question our education sometimes, at least I am. And, and, you know, we're taught not to do that. So that's what makes it this whole situation pretty difficult. Yeah, you know, I remember, I, I've mentioned this before, I remember starting out in practice in the late 1990s, and I watched I watched the regulatory agencies pull. Do you remember the first rotavirus vaccine? It was just being given out. And they actually, the regulatory agencies pulled it over just a shockingly small number of cases of an intestinal problem that 
they thought might be linked to the vaccine. It was an oral vaccine. And they pulled it over like around 15 cases of uh, this intestinal issue called intussusception um, and recommended that we stop giving it in the clinics, recommended that they investigate further. And, and ultimately, by the time everything was said and done, there were slightly over 100 cases of this intestinal issue nationwide. Like I hadn't seen a case related to the vaccine at all. And they ended up pulling it completely from the market. So, you know, I saw the system working well when I first started practice. And, and somewhere between then and now, it clearly has just completely come off the rails. Uh, but, you know, how did that happen? Was it rapid? Was it a slow progression? I, I think you could make the case that it's it's been there for a lot longer than many of us realized. So what's interesting about that story, Dr. Moon, is that um, my wife and I are both pharmacists. And um, my son, who is 22 now, almost 23, born in 2000, he had interception. Mm. Yeah, he had interception. And honestly, until we started, until the last few years and we started networking with the right people, um, we had no idea that that could have caused it. Um, nobody, ever, our pediatrician didn't tell us. Um, we weren't really taught as pharmacists, and and you know we trusted the system. And I, we were talking to a pediatrician a little over a year ago, and he was telling us about that vaccine. And I mean, the bingo light went on in my head, and I'm like, oh my goodness! And of had course, you, had you received the vaccine? Is is that something he had received? Mm-hmm. Now. Now here's what's interesting is so I, I asked my I asked my wife Janet I said hey Janet did you know anything about this and in the, the relationship and my my wife being a very protective mother the first thing she said was no way no no it's not it's not it's not the vaccine it wasn't the vaccine and I just kind of left let it go um, and you know now now she's on the same page that I am is that. We, we kind of wonder. Now, here's what's interesting. We were just talking about this a few days ago. Um, you know, she was like, um, you know, regretful. And it's like, you know, I wish I, I wish I hadn't done that. And I'm like, well, did he really get the vaccine? And we started, mm-hmm. she says, you know, I really don't know because the records are kind of incomplete and, and we don't yeah. know. Now, you know, which is interesting. Here we are. We're we're two pharmacists that completely trust the system 27 years ago. And we're mm-hmm. just doing these vaccines that our pediatrician recommends. And we're not really even documenting it like we really should. And neither was our pediatrician. That's sad. That that kind of tells you how the how we are blindly following recommendations. Yeah, I, I want to be really clear about two things. I forgot to mention at the outset that that as I'm speaking, I'm speaking on behalf of myself as a pediatrician, and these are my experiences that I have, that I've personally witnessed. I'm not speaking on behalf of any institution or employer or anybody else. I have to say that, right? And Absolutely. Then, yeah. And two, I have been an advocate of traditional childhood vaccines for my entire career. I have. And um, I have seen, I've seen the cases of like pneumococcus, which, which causes bacteria in the bloodstream and meningitis just plummet with the introduction of, you know, Prevnar and the pneumococcal vaccines, uh, likewise for other childhood vaccines. So I, uh, my, my point here with this is that uh, we clearly have major issues right now with this current COVID-19 shot. And how long has the system been broken is my question. And uh, the, how far back does that go? And I, I don't want to have people, you know, we need to. We just need to ask those questions. And the fact that we're being stopped from asking those questions, and we're being threatened simply by using some critical thinking and saying, "Wait a minute, have we been told the truth this whole time?" You know, we we as physicians have many of us, um, you know, listened to these regulatory agencies and to the to the powers that be, really blindly. If you look back and and very honestly, without without looking back at the actual studies, the the average physician, we just don't have the time to go through every single study. That's, that's as a pharmacist, I'm sure you can agree with that. You just don't. You, you have to trust the system to some extent. But And my only question that I'm asking is, is how trustworthy is this system? And by asking that question, 
you know, many of my colleagues have been threatened nationwide for simply asking that question, which should make us all, frankly, terrified as, as to why that's happening. Science is, is built on a foundation of questioning. And um, the minute we have some concern, it's not just our right to ask a question, but it's our professional duty to speak out and say, okay, something is really wrong here. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So let's go back three years. Um when the lockdowns basically it was about three years ago, I think in late February 2020, when when the lockdowns first happened and we were told, hey, two weeks to flatten the curve. And you know what? I was buying it. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I get it. You know, and I was there were some I felt reputable people on, um, you know, the news that I was believing and I will tell you, my wife, who is much smarter than I am, from day one, she says, no, Sean, this is this is not right. She says, this is Nazi Germany. Get in the train cars. And I'm like, honey, you're crazy. Come on. And, I mean, two weeks later, three weeks later, four weeks later, I, you know, I'm like, yeah, this is not right. So when did you... When did you know? Let's go back three years. When, when was it first when you knew that there was something fishy going on? Well, honestly, I've known there's something fishy going on since I saw propaganda hit our news. And I haven't trusted our mainstream news for progressively and increasingly for, for at least since at least 2010. But I did not make the connection fully with our medical community. And I, just like you, when this virus was first announced uh, overseas in China and they're showing us the scary, you know, there's scary music playing and people thrashing around on gurneys. And, you know, I frankly was, was extremely frightened because as a pediatrician, you know, if you follow me around my clinic during the day, you'll see that I'm pretty well covered in it by the end of the day, you know, kids cough and sneeze in my face and, you know, pretty covered in it. So I was pretty sure that whatever this was that was coming our way was going to, you know, hit us really hard on the on the front lines of medicine and in clinics and hospitals. Uh, but I also at the same time was like, well, what virus do we think that there is that we can stop in two to three weeks? This is clearly going to be a tidal wave that's going to wash over the whole nation. No one is going to stop a virus. Uh, but it But it made some sense to me to not overwhelm our hospital system, right? And instead of that, as I went to my hospitals, you could have heard a pin drop in the hallways. You know, the the plan had been to flatten the curve, to not overwhelm the hospital system. They weren't flattening the curve. They were, they they literally, these places were empty uh, with the exception of, you know, a few of the ICUs and things that, that did have some patients in them. But the rest of the hospital was just, it was empty. There was nobody in the hallways, fear everywhere. Yeah. And and I began to crunch numbers. So I began to look really carefully and I'm like, what is what is the infection fatality rate of this of this virus? And I, you know, it was hard because to calculate an infection fatality rate, so how many people does this virus kill? You had to know how many people died and you had to know how many people had been infected with it. And that second number is was really hard to come by because how many people as we as we went into the months of this how many people had actually had this virus and it became clear that that number was really really large because i'm sure you remember initially there really was no testing even for the for the virus uh, people we just we didn't know how many people had it but we had a lot of people coming in with symptoms that were really mild and so that number, the more, the more I crunched it, the more I realized, I, I began to realize that it was this tidal wave of a brand new virus hitting a population that had never seen it before. So yes, you're going to have a large number of people in the hospital as that tidal wave of infection hits, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the infection fatality rate is really high. And that's what I was getting with with the numbers that I kept crunching. I, I kept getting numbers that are actually very close to what is now being reported um, as the infection well, fatality rate. Well, and early on, <clears throat> excuse me, early on in the pandemic, I, I like to call it the government created pandemic. Um, Dr. Senator, Dr. and Senator Scott Jensen from Minnesota, he was one of the first ones to blow the whistle on. Um, you know, an increase in 
hospitals reporting COVID deaths that really weren't COVID deaths and having doctors um, report it because they were getting more money for it. Um, same thing as intubations. They were intubating patients because they got more money for it. So they liked the COVID diagnosis because they were getting more money and also listing it as COVID death. And he was one of the first ones that blew the whistle on that. And, of course, he has been just run through the ringer as a doctor for the last three years. Um, so, you know, the deaths were definitely – they were exaggerated for sure. And I, I look at it now, Dr. Moon, and I question, and even I think the CDC came out and and, and said how they were, you know, that the, the deaths were um, exaggerated. But um, how many people really died of primary COVID? That's that's what I want want to know. Primary COVID, you know, not, not from secondary um, type um, um, diseases. I think that's what the nation deserves to know. I mean, the American people want to know that, and and we haven't. Uh, we don't know. I I was looking at it from a pediatric perspective. As as more time went on, you know, I saw a number of kids, many, many, many kids with COVID, and for the most part, they all had my, minor cold symptoms, and that was it. You know, I didn't even know. I would get a call a day or two later after I'd seen a patient. And the child would have to have a test for some travel reason or something. And they would report to me, oh, the, the patient you saw yesterday had COVID. And they were in for, you know, a well exam or um, something, you know, not not related to COVID infection. And so I, I, in, in the early years, the early months of this, um, I had maybe one or two patients that went to the emergency room and they were there for a couple hours and were discharged home. I actually had no patients personally that were admitted uh, to the hospital during those first few, um, I would say the first six to seven, eight months of the pandemic. It just, the the majority of the kids were absolutely fine. And we, we have seen that in the statistics from our CDC. You know, your otherwise healthy child has essentially a 0% risk of dying from COVID. Now it's not fully zero. There's a very, very, very rare possibility, but it's actually really low for kids. Kids were spared in terms of fatalities. Now, could they be admitted with COVID? Sure. Like any other respiratory virus, they could certainly be admitted with dehydration or respiratory issues or things. But the fatality rate in kids was extraordinarily, you know, fine. It was, it was just as much as other viruses. And, and what began to really worry me is we went from this idea of two to three weeks of flatten the curve so that we don't overwhelm hospitals we morphed into this idea that thou shall never get a virus again <laughs> and that we're somehow going to have to protect our kids from getting any virus uh, and from getting sick. And that is, it's impossible. Every year, you know, kids get viruses. Every year they're hospitalized. And we, we've morphed into this idea that we have to keep kids safe from any sort of an illness. And that is not where we want to be, um, to be healthy going forward. Yeah. Right. And, and not only is it not, realistic yeah. um like you just said it, it's not healthy i mean you Emotional. know kids emotionally it's not healthy. yeah emotionally yeah and even immune system wise yeah. i mean our immune systems need to be exposed to things that's that's okay because that's how our immune system works yeah it's not only okay but it's actually vital to how your immune system works <laughs> exactly and who's roaming around in a barn and digging through the dirt and just having a good, good old time with their little toy tractor in the mud, you know, is generally speaking a lot healthier than the kid whose mom is, you know, sterilizing every bit of anything around him and won't let him touch uh, a cat or a dog or, or you know, go outside and play. You know, we, we our immune systems have to be trained and, and they also have to be trained by getting sick. So, it's a, it's a very complicated system, our immune system, but the idea that we somehow bubble wrap our children and keep them from ever having anything is, is, not, is clearly not realistic, and it's, it's really harmful to their mental health. So I began, as, as time went on, to see these kids coming into my office just terrified. I mean, terrified to the point where they wouldn't take their masks off, and I would have to ask them to do that for just, a, you know, in the early months of this. Uh, just to be able to see their throat, of course. And of course, I didn't mind if they didn't have it on at all, but that wasn't up to me. That was up to my employer in the in the office. And, you know, but I would have to ask them to take their mask off to see their throats. And they were just really quickly off back on again. I mean, so terrified and so linking that mask to somehow their safety. 
you know, the mental health of our kids was really, really, really harmed during uh, this whole period of time. Yeah, we had, we were traveling one time, um, actually, I think it was to Palm Springs, either mm-hmm. last year, year before, I think it was, oh, it was last year. And we were in a retail store and the um, gal had a kid that was like seven years old. And she said for the first time ever, he'd been, in, you know, he'd been in school, public schools for a couple of years. And she said for the first time ever, he'd seen his classes, his, um, the kids in his classes faces. They'd never seen their faces for two years because they had masks on. That, yeah. that can't be healthy. That can't be healthy. No, our, our kids' d- uh, development went, you know, really was, it was a big setback to the development of our younger children. And I could see it on the the babies. The babies would, you know, they would try to look at their mom with a face mask on and they just would be no reaction to their mom because they're looking for the, they're looking for her face. They're looking for her mouth. They're looking for the other facial features. And they just would look so puzzled, like, where, where is this person? You know, what, what is that? Uh, it, it was, you know, when, if I had told you before this pandemic that parents would, would be fearful of a virus that ultimately had a 0.0027% chance or 0.0003% chance of killing their child, of causing a fatality, we would have just laughed because it's such a statistically low number. What parent would have ever said, "Oh, that's that makes me fearful," but this is this is the this is the um, power of propaganda. The propaganda, the fear that was pushed out, you know, on the community because there is no worse fear than any parent has than something happening to their child. Let's let's face it, you know, those those of us who are those those people who are parents, uh, you know, that's the fear they have and. Uh, to to you know the fear the fear was used in a way uh, to to make people give away their rights and to put masks on children that uh, that were harmful to them they're harming their kids uh, definitely emotionally you know many of them had physical manifestations of that with belly pain and anxiety and just shaking and you know what what happened to children based on such a statistically low chance of anything. Uh, terrible happening them to, for the from the virus is was just sad, was just sad. But I know the parents yeah, it, doing this were not doing this. They were doing it because they were truly fearful. So the the propaganda was very powerful here. Yeah, yeah, and they they were just kind of following orders because they thought that's what was right. And yeah. unfortunately, I think um, you know a, a lot of people in the medical field, even if they thought different outside the narrative, they were so scared to stand up. There's not a lot of pediatricians like you um, that were going to stand up and say, you know, this doesn't seem right. Um, so they would just follow whatever their their pediatrician said. And speaking of that, many pediatricians are recommending the COVID-19 vaccine for kids. So what I think you have a strong opinion on that. Well, what are your thoughts? I think that a parent truly has to make their own decision about it. And, ha- and to do that, they have to have an informed consent discussion with their physician. And that is really not happening. We, the physicians have been, uh, we've been threatened, been silenced. And many of my colleagues have been silenced. Um, and they're absolutely not, not having those informed consent discussions the way that they need to be with parents. I, at this point, the majority of children have had COVID-19, have already had the infection. So, and again, as we've already discussed, that their risk from this of, of a fatality from this infection is so extremely low that the parents need to know that number. And, and then you have to balance that with the risks from the injection itself. And I don't call it a vaccine. It actually, the definition of vaccine had to be changed for this product. It's a completely different type of a product, as, as you know, because you're a pharmacist. This is not your traditional childhood vaccine. This is a genetic a biologic agent that has never uh, been used before in such a mass scale in in human history. And we don't know, nobody knows the long-term consequences of of receiving this. And if you look at the CDC website, there is a clear list, and we have seen it play out in in society, a clear list of side effects. Uh, So one of which is inflammation of the heart muscle. And I already have direct knowledge of of more cases than I should know about of kids with myocarditis that are related time-wise to having received this injection. 
how how in the world can we support a product that it appears from all the literature out there, all the scientific data out there has a much higher chance of harming your child than helping your child, i.e. the risk clearly, clearly looking at data so far outweighs any potential benefit if there is one. And again, you're giving a product that is for an outdated, uh, the, the virus is mutated since then. So it's a, it's a variant right. now that, so you're not even protecting anything with this. And, and so my question is, what is the risk benefit ratio? And, you know, other nations have shut this product down for their young people. And the average American citizen does not know that because mainstream media is not telling them. But other nations have shut this down. It's no longer offered to younger people. And by younger people, some nations have actually defined that as anyone under 50. So we're not just talking about the pediatric population. We're talking about anyone under 50 in many nations as their scientists have looked at the same data. And here in America, we are being asked to basically be quiet and not even have that conversation. So how, how yeah, I think it's England. It is, right, it is scary. It's England, right? Is it England that's in no longer is recommended? Right, a number, of, number, of nations, number of nations looking at it, Scandinavian countries, England, uh, Japan, Thailand, a lot of nations are looking at this very, very strongly and have varying, uh, you know, policies in terms of who they will allow to have this injection at this point. And the very idea that we are just silenced from even asking the question but look at the CDC website. It actually lists, lists myocarditis. It lists, you know, it lists other complications from this a product. It actually even mentions fatalities. There, yes, there have been autopsy proven fatalities linked to administration of this, this COVID uh, shot. And for those families, did they have an informed consent discussion? No, I, I've actually met one of those families, actually several of those families. And, uh, they wish that someone had told them what these risks might be. We've never had a product like this where, where uh, we've been silenced and kept from having a discussion. You know, look right now, like last week, I think there. You know, probably better about this than I might, but they they just pulled or restricted the use of an eye drop that was causing infections in people. You might have seen that, and just a handful of cases. And they've they've pulled the product from the market as they should. No one no one wants to use an eye drop that is going to cause you a, a serious infection. Here we have alarm safety signals going off like crazy, and we're for the COVID nineteen shot, and we're told to be quiet, and our licenses are threatened. It's it's just absolutely surreal that this is happening in America. It it really is, and and I kind of wonder, and I, I have a question for you. Yeah, what's behind it? What's going on? Is it, is it just about the money or is it more than that? So I, um, <laughs> I stay in my lane. I'm a, I'm a pediatrician. I, I can just tell you that it's happening. I see it happening in my life. I try to, we're in such smoke and mirrors right now. I call it the smoke and mirrors of propaganda and misinformation everywhere. I only speak to what I've seen. I can tell you that this pediatrician has direct knowledge of way too many cases of myocarditis than I ever should know about. Okay, this is myocarditis used to be an extremely rare condition prior to the, to the launch of this product. And since this product is launched, I have direct knowledge of, of, of more cases than I should. And I can tell you there's, a, there's been a clear uptick in just that one issue alone. So that I know for sure. I speak to what I know absolutely for sure. You know, what is the ulterior motive? What is, why is this all happening? It's clearly happening across the world. I have friends in Europe. I have friends in other continents that are seeing the same things play out there. This is clearly a worldwide situation. It is clearly, you know, happening in a way that it is taking away the freedom of people in other nations. What, who is controlling it? Who is behind the, you know, who's the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain? I, I read things just like you all do. I don't, um, I don't have the ability to tell you uh what the intent is behind it for sure. But, but it's, it's, it, it's alarming, right? It is. And one of our loyal uh, viewers and listeners, Cynthia Bailey, she's been commenting um, as she's watching and um, mm -hmm. you know, she's talking about, you know, her last comment was just this that I'm posting up there is that, you know, it's, it's, it could be population control and you just kind of have to wonder. Um, I know there are some, 
um, doctors that I've interviewed before that they they think the same thing. It's got to be more than just money. Um, and, you know, some of the people supporting these things, the, the funding of them, you know, Bill Gates, for instance, I mean, he said some really wild things when it comes to um, the population of the earth and what he believes. And he's the one that's funding a lot of these vaccine um, programs. So it makes you wonder, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I do know this. I do know that we have to stay vigilant and we have to, you know, as we've always done, Dr. Moon, we have to educate our patients and, and letting them make their decision um, based on good information, um, I'm, I'm as, as you are, I'm all about individual medical freedom and individual freedom in general, that we should have the ability to make our own decisions, what we do with our body, as long as it doesn't harm somebody else. Um, and absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely. And, and we're seeing an encroachment. I've, I've absolutely seen an encroachment on uh, parental rights in the last few years, especially that is, is really concerning. I alarming to me. You know, I've had, I had a, this is maybe sounds minor, but I'll give you examples. I had, I had in my, in my clinic, I had one of my nurses brought me a piece of paper and she said to hear the school nurse called and this child, I'll, you know, I'll just name him Billy, I, whatever. I don't know the child's name was and obviously wouldn't say it on, on a live stream, but it said, Billy, Billy's nurse from school is calling and wants to change his anticonvulsant medication to such and such. And the nurse wanted me to just fill out the prescription for the new medication. And that was it. And I, I looked at her and I said, no, I said, it's actually not a bad idea to, to make the switch. In that particular case, it wasn't a bad idea. I said, but where's the parent? What, what in the world? Why does this nurse think that she has the ability to change this child's medication? You know, we have, we are, we have been, this, this kind of crazy is normalizing where this idea that other people make decisions for you and your family and for your minor children how crazy is this? And so I, I should probably add that um, a lot of my history is that my my family actually I'm first generation to America. My I was born here, proud American citizen, but my parents had fled from communism, and my mom oh. under under the communist system, my mom under the communist system as a child remembers being lined up at her school in a row, and they just came down that row and they just gave injection after injection to the kids and. And, and her recollection is they didn't even change needles at that point between the kids. And, you know, she came home one day and the area where they'd given the injection was looking infected. And, and her parents were just looking at it and they were puzzled. And they said, well, I wonder what they gave you. I wonder what they gave you. We're, I'm seeing that we're heading into that same, that same bleak future where I wonder what they gave you. You know, the parents have to make the decisions for their kids. And the vast majority of parents are more than capable love their children and have their children's best interest at heart. They're the ones that make those decisions. And, you know, in rare cases of, of true child abuse or other situations, you know, those are very rare cases and that's a different discussion. But we are heading into this world where people are normalizing this idea that parents don't make their, their medical decisions for their own kids. And um, that is not a direction. That's not a road we want to travel down. No, absolutely us. not. Right. We, we have to let parents yeah. be in charge of their own medical decisions for kids. And that, yeah. that, that, you know, one of the things that I, I like to discuss during this, Dr. Moon, this whole thing over the last three years is that this is not, this is not about COVID. To me, this is not about COVID. It wasn't about wearing a mask. It's not about a vaccine. It's not about lockdowns. It's about medical freedom in general, just freedom in general. Because yeah. if they can lock us down, which is the first thing they did, what work, what could they do from there? And of course, the people that were against lockdowns, they're like, you know, we, we you know, some of us were saying, well, then they could make a kid get a vaccine. At the time, they're like, that's crazy. They wouldn't do that. Oh, oh yeah, they did. So if we keep going down this road, basically, like you said, we're going to line our children up and they're just going to start giving them shots no matter what. And we don't even know what's in it. That's that is the concern, and that's what I'm seeing, and that's why I'm speaking out because you know we all have to speak out. This is not this is not me being any stronger than anybody else who's speaking out. This is all of us uniting together to to make this stop. Um, yeah, we've seen huge chunks of our freedom just given away, and and we as society have allowed that to happen because of fear. You you don't take someone's freedom away uh, very easily. 
unless you make the public fearful. And so they've done a very good job of making the public fearful of what has turned out to be, you know, I'm not discounting this. This We all we all know somebody who was very sick from COVID. COVID was a nasty virus for, for many of the older uh, patients. And, um, you know, again, it, it, it clearly was nasty for some people. But here's the deal, is that the fear-mongering that went on and the, the absolute... I don't know what other word there is, but you you see what I'm trying to say. The the fear yeah. that went through everyone's heart, you know, it 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 penetrated everybody, and that's why the freedom was given away. So we gave away chunks of our freedom already. We already normalized the idea that someone can tell you to wear a mask, that a mask that even Dr. Fauci and the other powers that be have clearly said masks don't help. We all, anyone who's watched a child wear a mask knows how ridiculous this is. They're touching their face, they're touching their nose, they're touching one another. And somehow that mask does not miraculously stop a virus from from spreading from one child to another. We have so many studies to show how ridiculous masking is from a scientific perspective. It doesn't work. And, you know, but we were told to do it and people wore it and they did it. And so they already gave away those freedoms. So we have normalized so many things now that have removed chunks of our freedom that moving forward, we, we cannot continue to do this or we will have no freedom left. And, and that's what happened. That's what happened. My mom saw this happen when communism came to her nation uh, before she ultimately had to flee. She says, you know, it's rare for them to show up and take your freedom overnight. That's an occupation, and that's that. There's usually opposition to that, and there's fighting, and there's resistance, right? Where they show up overnight and just occupy your nation. What happens is, is they bring in uh, fear, and they take over media, and they take over communications, and you do things for the common good. You're doing this for for everybody else. It's for the common good. Look back at history. This has played out before in history. This is history repeating itself as we give these freedoms away. And so we've already given way too much freedom away. Yeah. Anytime, anytime anybody says that we're doing this for the good of others, it's not about you. It's about for the good of others. And they're taking away your individual ability to choose. Be very, very skeptical and probably don't do it. I mean, this is our, our, our unalienable rights that are given to us are given to us for a reason because in self-interest, we like to protect those rights. It's self-interest. That's a good thing. We are created that way to, to literally stay alive. And when we start, when we stop, um, you know, making decisions that are good for us self-interest wise, and that includes our family. I make decisions based on me, my wife, my kids, um, things like that. That that is self-interest. That's okay. Um, but when we're told we need to do it for the greater good of others, we need to be very, very skeptical. It's it's never ended well for millions and millions in in the history of our world when they've been told those words and 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 have lost their freedom from it. And I'm going to give you a really minor example of something. But I was I was returning a rental car down in San Diego, and it was a just a beautiful sunny day out. Sun was shining. The breeze, ocean breeze, was blowing. And I'm wheeling my suitcase up to get on the, you know, the car shuttle, the car rental shuttle back to the main terminal. And I could hear this, this man and he's, he's barking at everybody. He's like, get in line, single file, single file, masks on, masks on. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to have a little issue with him. And I wheeled up with my suitcase and he was on me, you know, mask on, mask on. And I just looked at him and I said, no, thank you. I said, the UV light kills it. And I pointed at the sun. And that's all I said. And he he didn't stop. He came at me again. He's like, I and I told you mask on. And I said, I just looked at him and I said, and I told you no. And he shut up. That was it. But I'm telling you, there was a line of about 20 people waiting to board the shuttle. I'll never forget it. Every last one of them standing out there in the bright, hot sunshine with the ocean breezes blowing with their masks on dutifully in a row. And I thought, to, and I got in the end of that line with no mask on and st- stood there with my suitcase and just, he left me alone. But I thought, how many other people have been, you know, why didn't the rest of these people take their masks off too? This stops when everybody else doesn't comply with absolute tyrannical nonsense. That's why I agree. Stops. 
and, and thank you for standing up in that situation because those people were watching you. And and um, even though they were fearful probably at the time to do anything about it, they they were watching. And it only takes, you know, if you look at some of the, um, you know, like the Revolutionary War in, in our country, in the United States, um, it started with like 10% of the people. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a lot of people. It was only ten percent of them. They're like, no, we're 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 not gonna we're not gonna be ruled like this. And, and it's hard for us to do, right? Because we're all you know we're all peaceful, law abiding people. And I just full disclosure, I've had one speeding ticket. Yeah, one speeding ticket in my entire career. That's it. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I'm not someone who breaks the law or doesn't listen to logical, sensible things. This is so well past that that. Um, it does take a little bit to step out and do that. But once you do, you know, and it helps to know that you're right because we are on the right side of history with this and we need to make this stop. This stops when the American people say that this stops. I, I, I agree. I, my always thought was I travel a lot and I travel a lot during the, the government created pandemic too. And mm-hmm. um, I always wondered on an airplane, you know, if all hundred people just took their masks off all at once, mm-hmm. what are they going to do? Land the plane? No. No way. There is no way. What what if, you know, thousands of people are standing in line at TSA and they just all took off their masks? Are they not going to check them in? I, I really doubt it. That's just yeah. not the way it works. I mean, because, um, you know, eventually if 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 people say enough people say no, they the, the tyrants have to stop. Um, yeah. and, and normally, you know, in those situations where, uh, you know, my wife and I would stand up and not wear masks and. And um, normally those people would just let it go. I mean, I, I think sometimes it's, you know, because a lot of times in those situations, a lot of these people that were given power to enforce these things, they're government, they're government officials and they're bullies. Yeah. And it's the only muscle they can flex. And when yeah. somebody actually stands up to them, they like back down. Yeah, I, I actually stand up to TSA Pretty much every time I go through TSA, there's something. Again, you know, I have full respect for for what they're doing. They're there to search us to make sure we don't have weapons on board or you know something that would harm a plane load of people. But they take it too far with their words, and I think I just stay calm and I stay nice, but I call them out on it. And I, I usually call their manager over. I had someone that came after me because I had accidentally forgotten about an ounce and a half, two ounces of water in a water bottle. And she she really acted as though this were, you know, she had just uncovered, you know, a horrible cache of, you know, narcotics or something, or just right. something awful, right? She acted like I was, and then she looked at me and said, well, the next time we might not be so nice. It was over an ounce and a half to two ounces of water that I forgot. And I just looked, I didn't, I didn't miss a beat. I just looked at her and I said, oh, really? I said, the next time, what might you do to me? I said, this was an accident. I said, do you realize what you've just said? I said, you have threatened me over two ounces of water. I said, do you realize that in history that has never ended well when people start to have the kind of power that you do and to say those words? You you work for us. You work for we the people. And I called her manager over and, you know, whether that went anywhere, I don't know, but but you have to push back. And yeah. she she did she did stop immediately. They will stop if you push them because yeah. they're wrong and they know it. it. It's- it's interesting because you're talking about that situation in San Diego with you, and it reminded me of the situation we were flying out here, my wife and I, and this TSA agent is barking orders. And my <laughs> wife says something like, oh, here they go, barking yep. their orders. And it's, it's like it's like the only power they have. So they just sit there and they flex their muscle. And, and you're right. I mean, if we stand up to them, um, you know, they usually back down. There is, there's a fine line between, and I told this to the manager most recently, there is a fine line between the reasonable safety that we all expect and appreciate and tyranny. And they have they have morphed over in many cases into tyranny. And it, we need to stop it. They were trying to get me to take one of my outer jackets off during my most recent <laughs> walk through TSA. There's not a dress code to go through security. I'm happy to have them pat me down. I'm happy to have whatever they need to do to check me for for things that I don't have on me. They may do, but I will not take off clothing and end up in my underwear because they tell me to. I that's just outrageous and that's really what it had boiled down to. So so you know, we have to call them out and it's it's uncomfortable for all of us, but that is the role that all of us have to do right now is we have to call out this this absolute tyrannical nonsense. 
Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. tell us about the COVID, uh, the COVID, the Global COVID Summit. Yeah, so it's a it's a group of uh, physicians that uh, are, have been speaking out, and and I'm part of that group, uh, many thousands worldwide, and of course there are other groups as well. But we really do have a lot of physicians who are speaking out. We just have been extremely silenced, right? And and so uh, so look at our website. It's globalcovidsummit.org, and you'll find uh, you know interesting articles, things that you may want to read. Um, uh, to learn more about what we're experiencing, but but most of us are um, majority of us are practicing physicians who are trying to you know see patients on some days and travel and speak out about what we see happening and what our concerns are on other days. And so uh, it's a very energetic group that has been very vocal. Uh, and none of us really were seeking that we're not seeking the limelight. This is not something that that this is something that has cost us all money. It's cost us all. Frankly, um, you know, people upset with us, coming after us, threatening us, uh, but we will not be silent. We are on the right side of history and we will not be silent. This, we're speaking the truth and we're speaking about what we're seeing uh, out in the communities and the places where we're practicing uh, and what our concerns are as this, as this moves forward. So, so um, Dr. Moon, as we wrap this podcast up, um, what do you have a passion for? Uh, well, obviously, freedom. <laughs> mm-hmm. We all need to be free people. So freedom is, is you know, I used to, I, I really, I look back and I think, wow, I used to, every every 4th of July, which has always been my, one of my most favorite holidays, you know, obviously Christmas, but the 4th of July is is amazing. I, I love watching our veterans and now we don't see them as much on the, in the parades, but, you know, as, as they've all passed on, but I, I've always really respected them. And and I always told my told my family, I, I would say, you know, freedom isn't free. And then every every year I'd go eat my hamburger like everybody else. And I'd think, huh, I wonder what that means. Yeah. Right. I think the last few years have really pointed out to, to many of us that that means that uh, freedom really isn't free. We all have to, we all have to fight for it and we all have to maintain it or it will go away. And we've already seen so much of it go away. I, I would encourage the listener to, to do um, actually three things. One is um, to please reach out to people who don't understand how serious this is right now, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of the pressure seems to be off right now. The mandates are sort of dropped away and, and everyone thinks, oh, this is okay. It's lifting. Mm-mm. It's not, they're just getting ready to hit us with more. I, I can, you can feel it. And we, we need to make sure that our neighbors and our, the people who are just not fully seeing what's happening understand the, the severity of what's happening and that they're, they're ready to speak out and they understand. So please reach your neighbors, reach people who don't fully pay attention to what's been happening and tell them how, how underwater the medical system is right now uh, in terms of, of their own freedom, their own personal freedom going away. And two, I would ask that you reach out to the kids in your area, kids in your family, kids in your neighborhood. They have been so traumatized. Their mental health has been so traumatized by everything that has happened the last few years. I, I, I have, I've seen so many kids just so anxious and depressed and suicidal and the social distancing, the isolation, what, what that did to them was, was terrible. So please reach out to the kids and, and help those individual kids, help them see that there's hope and help give them a solid foundation to stand on right now in a world that's really gone mad. Um, and then three, I think if you have a, a loved one who has been harmed by the COVID-19 injections, because clearly the, the safety signals are, are alarming like crazy and we have, and we know it's underreported, we have so many first responders and nurses and frontline workers who are reporting seeing things that they've never seen before in relationship to this injection, you know, strokes, heart attacks, um, so many things on that list, myocarditis. If you have a loved one who has been affected, be sure that it's A, reported to VAERS, but more importantly, be sure that it's reported to the medical board of your state because by, by, um, by most states' laws, there I think maybe it's in all states, your physician, your your healthcare provider is obligated to report the potential link with this shot and whatever adverse thing happened uh, within a month or two of that of that shot. If that hasn't been reported, please report it to your medical board. 
report what was given, the date that it happened, um, the patient's name, report it. Because they, if they haven't reported it to VAERS, if they haven't reported it to the system, then they they needed to have done that. And I would report to the, directly to the state medical board with that. Good tips. Yeah. Uh, Cynthia has a question for you. Are you with Doctors Without Borders? Are you familiar with that? I'm not. Yeah, I'm familiar with the group. I don't know too much about them. And, and no, I'm not directly with them. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so last question. If anybody has any questions yes. for you, Dr. Moon, um, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, it's actually really pretty hard right now. So we're trying to work on a way within the website where people can reach out to us directly. So so stay tuned with that globalcovidsummit.org website. Um, I don't have any other great way at this point to 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 reach to reach me directly, but you can um, hopefully soon reach us through that that website. Okay, we will we will stay tuned for that. And uh, I thank you so much um, today for being on, and you've helped us realize our goal, which our goal of this podcast always has been, which has been this podcast has been going on before COVID. It's all our goal is always to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. And you have definitely helped us realize that goal. So thank you so much, Dr. Moon. Yeah, thank you. And to the individual person out there, you're not alone and you're, 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 you were so important to us. So please don't feel like you can't change things because you can. We all can together. So thank, thank you. you, everybody, for listening in today. Um, we really appreciate it. Tune in to our regularly scheduled podcast, uh, 1230 to 1.30 Pacific Standard Time, Monday. Uh, thank you for listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you. Thank you.